Hello and welcome. I'm Uri. And I'm Rifki. And you're listening to Talking Talkless, the show where we talk about Jewish life and life in general. Well, Rifki, we are back after a three-week hiatus. Yep, it's been a busy three weeks. We've been doing opposition research. Uri's been out canvassing, checking out other podcasts, really sizing up the competition. Yeah, I, I was also so inspired by our birthright segment that I picked up and went to Israel and staffed a birthright trip. How was it, Uri? It was amazing. And believe it or not, I'm still a Zionist, even after that birthright experience. Can't believe it didn't yeah, change you. Unlike uh, that panelist from the anti-Semitism panel who, who said that anyone who goes on birthright comes out hating Israel. Those of you listening, you can't see, but Uri is right now very proudly wearing his Taglit birthright t-shirt. I think it's signed by participants. My staff t-shirt, <laughs> yes. All right, but we're back and we are ready to dive right into things here. So let's get into it. Rifki, what's our first topic today? Okay. Last week, Frisch, a local modern Orthodox school, and my alma mater, became briefly famous. The faculty advisor for a pro-Israel student group sent an email to the student body, and the email kind of went viral. Uh, The email encouraged everyone to send letters to President Trump, praising and thanking him after his announcement that he plans to move the U.S. Embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. A template letter attached to the email included the following language. President Trump, you have displayed leadership and strength among the nations by formally recognizing Jerusalem as the eternal capital of the state of Israel. We appreciate your commitment to follow the wishes of the American people and your faithful service as our nation's leader. We are grateful for your unwavering support of Israel, America's greatest ally. Very shortly, after some parents called and complained right away, Frisch's principal, Rabbi Eli Siner, who... I'm not trying to show off, but he did happen to be the advisor for the freshman team for Shiria when I was a captain, when we beat the seniors, whatever, it's not a big deal, it's fine. Uh, He sent out a clarifying email to all the students in which he reiterated that the letter campaign was entirely voluntary and that students should only send emails if they actually agreed with the policy decision. And he told the students... We often write into our political leaders if we agree or disagree with their decisions. This is one opportunity to allow President Trump to hear your voice. Now, Uri, I think I might be biased a little bit because I went to Frisch, or it's also possible that we're both biased, right? Because this is, I think, the largest modern Orthodox school in the country. I could be wrong about that. Um, But this is obviously kind of a personal topic, and I think one that probably both of us have thought about, you know, sort of the role in schools and all of these things. Um, But I wanted to hear your thoughts, especially because, you know, you were in Israel when this story broke. So how'd you feel about this whole Frisch thing? Do you think it's like totally fake news? Do you think it's sort of a sign of something bigger? What do you think about it? Well, honestly, Rifki, my first reaction to this story was just sadness because it makes me sad in general. And this is just another example of Israel being politicized in a way that I don't think it should be. And in a way that makes me scared of how now every single issue relating to Israel is political and you're either on one side or the other. And so I don't think it used to be that way, that supporting Israel was, as a, as a religious Jew, uh, Zionist Jew in America, was, was a political statement. So first of all, having been in Israel for the last few weeks, I will say that it, it seems that the, I mean, we mentioned this already, but the, the announcement to move the embassy is pretty universally uh, applauded uh, among the Israeli public. You don't see a lot of opposition. Obviously, there is some opposition, but there isn't a lot. But the other thing is that, I mean, if if the students and parents at Frisch are ostensibly pro-Israel and in general do believe that Jerusalem is the capital, why should why is it so terrible for them to thank President Trump for making that announcement, even if they don't like 
Donald Trump and they don't approve of his other policies. Like, well, you probably read the same news articles that I did, right? What were the parents saying? Why were they upset about this? Well, for, let's take a step back for a second. First of all, some of I think Haaretz was the first one to yeah, break the story. Broken. A bunch of other um, news outlets uh, repeated the story, but in a pretty manipulative and distorted way fashion for the most egregious one was the newsweek story that had in the headlines saying that frisch forced the stu tried to force the students to to write these emails when in fact the actual original email twice said this is only for if you approve the decision that i'm quoting from the original email sent to the students the email specifically said that um, the embassy move was heavily criticized, and quote, it is therefore important that each person who believes that the president made the right decision have their voice heard, end quote. And then the next sentence says, quote, again, we are therefore encouraging every student who believes that the president's decision was correct to contact the White House with, White House with words of support, end quote. Okay, so it's not forcing the students to write this letter. It's not pressuring them. It's saying, if you think this was the right decision, then it would be a nice thing to show the White House that we approve of this and that this is something that we see as positive. And I don't even think that that's political. I don't think a religious Zionist Jew supporting Israel and supporting Jerusalem as the capital of Israel should be seen as a divisive political statement. And so I don't see it at all as inappropriate. So ju just to clarify, to are you this. saying that you do not understand why there even would be a counter argument? Why there could be parents or students or administrators? Why you can't imagine why someone in that situation would be uncomfortable getting that email? I think the only reason why they're uncomfortable is because they hate Trump for understandable reasons. But it's like Trump can do no right in a lot of people's minds. And that's, I think, where this is coming from. I think it's also important to know that these, there are hundreds of Frisch students and parents. And this was five, I don't know if it was five individual parents or five sets of parents uh, who were upset about this. And I, Right. In the first hour, to get calls from five parents, that was pretty extreme. That was that was just uh, bef okay. before Rabbi Sina wrote the follow-up email. Okay. I, I mean, the truth is that you're right that these journalist outlets, you know... Is this are, even a real news story? It's not clear. Do you think this is a real story? So I do think it's a story, but not for the reasons that... Um, that have been appearing in most of these articles. First okay. of all, one of the things that they keep repeating, which I find to be particularly annoying, is that it's Jared Kushner's alma mater. Right. Jared Kushner, yes, he went to Frisch. He graduated well before any of the administrators. Before you? Well before <laughs> me. Like, you know, Rabbi Sinner, Rabbi Sher, the people who are involved in this, they came either while I was in school or after I was in school. Jared Kushner graduated maybe six or seven years before I entered the school. Mm -hmm. So this this is not about... Jared Kushner isn't a big donor to the school. Jared Kushner is not It has nothing to do with the story. They're putting it in for yeah. obvious reasons. They just want to get more clicks yeah, or but whatever. Yeah, but I don't know. To me, that, that there's something very slimy about that. I, I think really that what's interesting about the story, yes, it is true that there is a value to being civically engaged. I wish Frisch actually did a lot more things like this. You know, I think that this is one particular example, but I think the reason people are feeling uncomfortable is because this is the only one. This is something that was sent out to the entire student body. It wasn't sent out to the kids who are in this political advocacy group. It was sent out to the entire student body. It was said, please feel free to use your school email address. Please feel free to use the school address in your return label, right? All of these things which make it feel like it's attached to the school. And it doesn't say political advocacy is important. Being engaged civically is important. If you agree, write a letter. If you disagree, write a letter. It didn't say because we think this is an important issue, we're devoting an assembly to it. We're going to create some sort of um, 
framework in which we can all discuss this because people might be a little bit confused. Why are people upset about this? It seems like it should be universally happy. That They weren't saying any of that. They were saying, write a letter. And this is the first one, as far as I know, in months. And there are so many other issues related to Israel and not. Now, I think the most the, the most obvious, just, let me, sorry, let me just finish this quickly. The most obvious counter argument is, yes, there are a lot of issues, but those issues are a little bit more partisan. This issue is a no-brainer. It's supporting Jerusalem as Israel's capital. I think that, to me, is what sort of the story is, and it comes to the larger problem, which we've discussed on the podcast in the past, that when Israel becomes the only issue that modern Orthodox students are engaged in, that says something really bad about modern Orthodox school and about the Jewish community. There are so many important issues. I'm sorry, that was a mouthful, but yeah, go ahead. I I hear what you're saying about that last, the last point you made. I don't know if I fully agree. I do think that high school students need to be engaged in thinking about issues and policies unrelated to Israel, for sure. But in terms of like sending out the squad email, another thing that was mentioned in the Haaretz article that bothered me was how they, you know, these parents were complaining and they were saying, you know, this, like you were saying, this is the first time that the school is sending out, or the first time in recent, you know, memory that the school is sending out a request like this or, or a recommendation to send this type of letter. How come they didn't send anything about Trump's immigration policy? Like why telling all the students to send out an email, uh, you know, um, protesting Trump's immigration policy. So first of all, yes, that's a much more political issue. And and second of all, yeah, that might be important in general as an issue, but it doesn't directly relate to this school and the the philosophy and the students and the people on an individual level of this school. So as important as it might be, maybe that's something to be discussed in class and civics or, you know, political science class or whatever, government. But I I don't think to, to say, it could have been okay for the principal to send out that email, but the fact that he didn't, the, and the, or this teacher who sent out this email, the fact that he sent out the Israel one and didn't send out the immigration one, I think it's a, that's a ridiculous criticism. The other thing I want to say is that this whole story reminds me of a, of a similar thing that happened a few years ago, which was at YU... Rabbi Brander, who was the dean of the CJF mm-hmm. at the time, Department of, of the University, basically sent out an email, I think it was to all the Smicha students, the rabbinic students uh, in the rabbinic school at YU, and encouraging them all to attend, um, to take a day off from class and attend a protest at the UN protesting the Iran deal, that was, which was being uh, you know, debated at the yeah. time. And there was a pushback, a very similar, small but vocal pushback, saying a similar thing. They were saying, why are you injecting politics into the school? Why are you... And that wasn't saying, if you believe in it. That was just blanketly encouraging the, the, uh, you know, rabbinic students to go and protest the Iran deal. And that pushback also bothered me and made me uncomfortable. Because it's like, yeah, if you don't want to go, then don't go. But for uh, the administration of a modern Orthodox Zionist school to say, we have a problem with the Iran deal, with, like, funding... And, you know, giving a, hundreds of millions of dollars, whatever it was, that, that now Iran can now use to fund terror and giving them a pathway to a nuclear bomb within 10 years. I don't think it should be 
a political it should be seen as a political statement so I to oppose that I, I hear what you're saying and i think in general i agree that there is a value in having politics being part of an educational institution being part of the conversation that we're having in our schools i think the problem is that we're skipping the education part right if what frisch wants to do or if what you yu wants to do is set up a forum in which the kids are encouraged you know here are the things that you should be reading about let's set up even a debate let's set up a conversation and if everyone ends up on the side of this is what we should do, then it's like, okay, so now what do we do? Now do we protest? Now do we, you know, these kids in YU, I can pretty... Well, they weren't kids. They were... Okay, these kids in Frisch or these students. slightly older kids who are in Smith at YU. Well, maybe they were I, discussing it in class. I hope they were. And how do you know on, that they were? Because I, I had friends in YU at that time. No, and I have friends in Frisch. Oh, I, well, my cousins are in Frisch. I, I spoke, yes. I'm saying it's an educational institution and your number one responsibility is to educate. Part of education well, you're also is asking encouraging for a lot advocacy. Because, the, you know, the rabbinic school is not teaching politics and foreign policy. They're telling these young men to go out and protest something without really giving them, without even saying... Well, they're giving them Look, benefit of the doubt that they've that been keeping is, up with the news. I, I would hope that they, that they, they had can, been. They can say, we think this is important. You know, if this is something that you feel is important to, based on, you know, study, then feel free to sort of like make your voice heard. But that's not what they're... That's okay, well, that's saying. what the Frisch email said. If you agree with the decision, right. then here is a, an I, idea. What I, wish Frisch would do, what I wish Frisch would do, if I were administrator at Frisch, cancel two periods, encourage, give kids the tools to read about it, either at home or in school, to set up real conversations in which you almost do mock debates okay, and wh- have the wh- teachers play the other side. And then... All of the kids, whether they agree or disagree, no matter what side they fall out on, should be sending letters because that civic engagement is important but has to be based on education. And I think that that is definitely true for Israel, but also true for all of these other things. Immigration, right? It's an example where it's like, okay, it doesn't feel like as directly relevant, but do a do a poll of kids who are in Frisch right now and what percentage of their grandparents are immigrants. And yes, obviously it's a different situation, but that is a fact. Okay, so, so bottom line, do you think that the complaints that these five parents made in saying that this was outrageous that this was um they called i think they used the word sycophant that they're, they're basically maybe one they're, they're encouraging the students to suck up to president trump by just by thanking him for doing something that you agree with i mean do you, so do you agree with those parents do you think this was outrageous and I terrible i agree that it was absolutely inappropriate you know i remember when we were in school i remember being in i don't remember if it was when i was in mariah or when i was in frisch but i remember being bused to jonathan pollard rallies that is crazy right jonathan pollard i it's not about whether you agree Agree that Jonathan Pollard should have been freed or whether you disagree to argue that there is only one appropriate reaction without giving the kids the tools to really think about it first is ludicrous okay I, don't I mean know, you're asking you disagree for, you're asking for a lot I you're not I don't it's an education I don't think what you're saying is wrong no so so for so for school. okay so for sure for sure yeah, obviously the, the more education the better but I I think when you're dealing with first of all educating children in general they, you know their minds are not as sophisticated as adults and the, it, to some extent they're education in a religious, especially in a religious institution, is going to be indoctrination to some degree, whether you like it or not. Like, you, So one could choose to not send their children to a religious school, but it's obvious that a religious school is going to be pushing ideas and philosophies onto these kids without them having the proper mental capabilities to fully understand yeah, the that's, other that's side they're going to be given. That's, one side, that's, that's just really the reality of what it is. And I think this is part of it, and I think it's acceptable, and I think that's what, when you're signing up to go to a Zionistic Orthodox institution supporting Israel and thinking of Jerusalem as the capital of Israel, I think that's an obvious part and parcel of that. And especially because this, the email said in, in a very short email, five sentences, two of those sentences says, 
only if you agree with this as a good thing, you are encouraged to send this email. I see nothing wrong, and it really bothers me that this caused whatever amount of uproar it was. Unclear if it was really just a handful of, of people or if it was more than that. I don't know, but I think it's unfortunate. And uh, okay, well, we'll have to agree to disagree. And as always, we love to hear your thoughts. Please email us, talkingtachaspodcast at gmail.com, and please write how much you think that Uri is just not thinking clearly about this issue. He would love to change his mind. I would. Lach Yerushalayim Bein Chomot Ha'ir Lach Yerushalayim Or Hadash Ya'ir Belibeno, belibeno Rakshir Echar Kayam Lach Yerushalayim Bein Yarden for our second segment, we're going to change gears a little bit. Rifki, guess what? The future of grocery shopping is here. Oh, that's so exciting. Yeah. On January 22nd, 2018, Amazon officially opened Amazon Go, a first-of-its-kind convenience store located in downtown Seattle at the base of Amazon headquarters. Here is a little bit of the promo video put out by Amazon explaining how the store is going to work. Four years ago, we started to wonder... What would shopping look like if you could walk into a store, grab what you want, and just go? What if we could weave the most advanced machine learning, computer vision, and AI into the very fabric of a store so you never have to wait in line? No lines, no checkouts, no registers. Welcome to Amazon Go. So basically the way it works is you enter the store by scanning the Amazon Go app on your phone at a Subway-esque turnstile. Once inside, you just take whatever items you want and then you walk out. There's no checkout and no scanning of items. Hundreds of cameras in the store track whatever you take off the shelf, but you are also able to put things back if you change your mind. Once you walk out of the store, your purchase is charged to your Amazon account. The store currently stocks basic groceries as well as some Whole Foods products because Amazon bought Whole Foods for $13.7 billion a few months ago. There are a few types of concerns that people have about Amazon Go. The first obvious worry is related to privacy and data collection, but there are also the 3.5 million cashier jobs in the U.S. that could potentially now be in jeopardy, even though as of now Amazon says it has no plans to expand to more locations. And there are also people who are saying that this store discriminates against the many Americans, mostly minorities, who either don't own smartphones or don't have bank accounts and credit cards. So what do we think about this state-of-the-art supermarket? Are we scared of it? Are we excited about it? What do you think, Rifki? Um, I mean, honestly, I'm a little bit of both. I'm very excited about it. I've been reading about it since they, their first sort of ads came out of I think maybe a year or two ago. Um, and I'm, I think it's pretty crazy. I think it's pretty cool. It really feels like the future, you know, like we talk about online shopping as the future, but this is, this is ridiculous. Um, but it's also scary. It's scary, first of all, to trust any sort of company that at the end of the day is really looking out for its own best interest, right? It's not something that we forget about often is that any company, and whether it's Google, right, don't, you know, do no evil or whatever their, their slogan is, or whether it's Amazon or whether it's Whole Foods, which is all about, you know, healthy living. Um, these companies are looking out for their own profits and they want the consumer to be happy so that it doesn't affect their profits. Okay. Um, so and therefore what? What is the fear specifically? So I feel really ambivalent about this. On the one hand, I think there's something incredibly exciting about this being sort of the future of commerce. You know, I 
do a lot of online shopping and this feels like kind of the next step. I get to merge the in-person going to a grocery store and actually picking out the apples with the convenience of not having to really interact with people if I don't want to. It goes much more quickly, obviously. There's something really sort of magical and exciting and futuristic about that whole thing. On the other hand, there is something that, I don't know, maybe concerning is too strong of a word, but there's something... um, that I understand the point that I've been reading about that's, that some people are making about how this sort of continues, this weird setup of our economy in which we literally don't really either think about money or think about the other people that it involves. Literally, I am so removed from all of those things. I go to a shelf, I take the things I want, and then I leave. I don't really have to interact with other people if I don't want to. I don't even have to interact with money if I don't want to. Right? I don't pull out a credit card. I don't pull out cash or a credit card as it is. is already removed. So you're worried that people are going to spend too much money beyond their means because they don't realize how much they're spending? I'm not 100% sure. I mean, that's the argument that people made about credit cards and to a certain extent it's true i don't believe i i'm like hyper conscious of things so i don't find that i do it but there is definitely something to that about feeling like there's really a removal between the goods you are purchasing and the money that you are using to purchase those things with and the people who are involved in getting you those things so all of these things being sort of hyper removed from each other does feel a little bit disconcerting to me i'm not sure that i would go to a point of saying that it makes me It makes me not want to shop in the store, but there is something I think to be conscious of about the way in which spreading out all these different pieces of our trading for goods and services does do to us. I don't know, Uri, what do you think about that? Well, I mean, I find that aspect to be, or that concern to be a little bit of a stretch. I think, I mean, I believe in personal responsibility. So I think if somebody goes into a store... You they say should, that as if I don't? Well, I don't know. I think <laughs> I think a normal, like, you know, responsible adult can go into a store and, and walk out with uh, X number of purchases. And even if uh, they aren't going to a checkout counter, they still know what they took and how much they're spending. And, and if one time they go and they spend too much, hopefully, you know, it's not going to be an astronomical amount. They'll learn their lesson and then, you know, budget better next time. I'm not concerned about that. I mean, the data collection... Wait, hold on. Before yeah. getting to the data collection, I was actually just thinking, one thing that happens to me, not often, often, but happens to me pretty often on Amazon is I'll put something in my cart and then the next day when I go to check out, it'll sell me, so, you know, alert, this price has gone up by $3 or it's gone down by $3, mm-hmm. something like that. They let me know. And I wonder how that would happen like, what's a Amazon changes their prices fluctuate based on a million, a million things that go into the market that we don't actually know about. I wonder how, like, are the prices going to be fixed from the time I walk into the store and by the time I leave? Right. Like, so how's I saw, that going to work? I saw in one, one of these articles that I was reading about it, it said a concern along those lines. And, it, and as an example uh, or support for that concern, it said how one a certain product, I forgot what it was, on Amazon, the price changed eight times in one day mm-hmm. or something like that. So right. I think here. Well, that's not a problem as long as you know. Right. Okay. So it's the confusion, I think, that people worry about. Right. I mean, I think the prices are going to be listed next right, to the it, items. If I, if I see it, the sandwich is $6. Time, right. Yeah, by the time you leave, it's $9. Get... Like, it's like, a, you know, how's that going to yeah. work? So, I mean, I guess that's a fair They'll question. I'm assuming out. that maybe by the one... Yeah, I, I'm assuming when you take it off the shelf and it says a price, that's what you're going to be charged. I'd be surprised if it wasn't that. I mean, when it comes to these type of futuristic data collection, personalized advertising, I always think of um, in the movie Minority Report with Tom Cruise. Mm-hmm. There's this so in, in that futuristic world, which actually a lot of the things that they uh, did in the movie have already 
in a way come to fruition, which is like very interesting. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Um, but so one of those things was how everywhere you go, it scans your retinas. And so you, Tom Cruise is walking past like a mall and the, you know, the camera sees his eyes and identifies him and then will, is sending him personalized very um, targeted ads to him, which we really have already yeah. online for sure. And I guess now, you know, they'll, they already, I'm sure know data collection, supermarkets and whatever, like, as an aggregate, what people are buying, but I guess now maybe more personalized what individuals buy, and then yeah. you know, I'm not. But that's been, they've been saying yes. that for ages. You remember that Target story that I think that was like ten years ago. There's a there was it was a New York Times magazine I think cover story about targeted advertising, and it talked about how successful Target's been to the point that they knew based on something that a, a teenage girl I think was buying they knew that she was pregnant before, before she, she knew did. she was yes, pregnant yes that was also referenced in some of these uh, oh, okay. articles about Amazon Go yeah so I mean I guess for, for me and I think a lot of people like I've already accepted the fact that You've given up. I've given up on my privacy and my data collection like I, I have I know people I have relatives who try to like stay off the grid and off social media and whatever like I don't really really think that even helps anymore um, because it's too late they, if you own a credit card if you own an email account whatever right. they, they have you so so in terms of that concern I'm not too worried I mean well I think the hope I mean a lot of people who are privacy advocates and experts. I know we've talked about, uh, I've talked about cryptocurrencies before, but I think something like Amazon Go um, is going to make it pretty easy for people who want to pay for things entirely with cryptocurrency to do so, right? If you okay. just hook up, you know, certain accounts to, you know, to your Amazon account. Right. Separate, separate discussion of what's happening with <laughs> cryptocurrencies. They happen to not be doing as well now as when we last spoke about them. Uh, I but think things are okay. What about the, oh yeah, you, you think... Uh, it's going up? I say Ethereum. Ethereum. Yeah. Okay. Good to know. I'll, I'm going to write that down. Yeah. Uh, and what about the other concerns? You know, the the, the job uh, concern or the um, the concern that this is like somehow discriminatory against people who yeah. will be left out of this system. What do you think yeah. about that? Well, I don't know. I think the job... The job concern never really bothers me. The same as when, you know, we talk about closing warehouses in Iowa and then buying things cheaper from other countries. To me, that's not something that I've ever really been so nervous about. I think in general, jobs appear and disappear all the time. That's the danger of a changing economy. And I think that's okay. I don't and what think about like minimum wage jobs? I mean, think about toll booth operators. Same thing. Exactly. Convenient, you know, Those uh, jobs go check away out and they counter people. Other jobs reappear, right? They're, or not reappear, other jobs appear, right? This is sort of the nature. It's a cyclical sort of economy. There are so many people who used to have jobs that don't appear anymore. Operators, right? Oh no, what are we going to do? They find other jobs, right? They're, right now... Forget about cashiers, right? There are obviously a lot of cashiers in this world, but there are way more drivers who are part of, you know, freight companies and part, like taxi drivers. All of these jobs are going to disappear as soon as self-driving cars become the norm. That's obviously a much bigger problem, but I'm not super nervous about that either. I think that's the nature of a changing economy. They will get other jobs. Okay, and the um, discrimination So thing? the discrimination thing I think is a little bit more valid, but economies are robust, and especially in sort of low-income um communities especially if you if you look outside the states if you go to a lot of a lot of countries in Africa they've really found other ways of 
you of doing commerce, right? They don't use credit cards as often, but they pay in other ways. And it's interesting, like they pay in phone credit. Now, obviously, cryptocurrencies have become much bigger. There are it's a new world. Banks are not going to be as relevant in 50, I think. Banks are not going to be as relevant in 50 years as they are right now. Um, whether you have good credit, whether you don't have good credit, there's a lot more flexibility. Obviously, you know, I'm a Democrat, I believe in regulation, but it's a changing world. I'm not super nervous, but Uriel, I'm curious to hear what you think. Um, you know, throw it back to you. What, what do you think about this stuff? Um, I, I think, honestly, my, my real concern just involves the gen- my general, maybe as a conservative, I'm scared of things changing on a certain level. And so, yeah, things moving into the future, like self-driving cars. And I mean, they already have self-checkout things and like CVS, which I actually like. Yeah. Um, I find that half the time I use it, I need someone to come over anyway oh, because really? it's well, not working. Sometimes, yeah. I'm not good at this stuff. Um, but I, so I, I, so I see the convenience and I'm, as I said, I'm not too worried about uh, my privacy uh, being lost. Uh, but these, these things do worry me a little bit. Uh, and especially when you have now these like handful of massive corporations that seem to be, you know, spreading their tentacles into all different areas. So obviously you have Google and you have Amazon and you have Apple. Um, I, don't, I don't know. Are those like the big three now? Well, I think Facebook also. Facebook, Facebook you know, we yeah. could have a whole other conversation about how Facebook is changing their yeah, so news feed. I, I guess I also have this like weirdly optimistic uh, mentality that if things go too far or get too bad, there will be a backlash and the market will just correct itself or society will correct itself and um, get rid of the, uh, you know, these uh, technologies or, or uh, different t- types of endeavors that are le- leading to harm uh, to people. But, you know, that's not how it works in the movies usually. So I'm not yeah. really sure. Um, we actually have, it's interesting, you know, we, we haven't yet have guests on the podcast, but we actually have friends who work at these companies, right? Right. Like a friend who works at Facebook, we have friends at Amazon. I would really be curious to, you know, maybe we'll have a call in one Hear day. Hear their take on yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. So I would say I, I'm a little bit worried, but I also think it's very cool. And I think it's inevitable, to be honest. So I guess we might as well uh, So should we try and plan a it. trip to Seattle? Uh, I'm, I'm down. I love Seattle. Yeah, right, let's great. go. I've never been. Okay. It's on the short list, though, a vacation spot. So let's head out. Have some fish. Or we could just wait for Amazon Go to come to New York. I'm sure it'll be here before we know it. Uh, We wrote this a while ago, so uh, in a way it's a little bit dated. Um. (laughs) The distant future. The year 2000. The distant future. The year 2000. The distant future. The distant future. The future is quite different to the present. Yes, the world is quite different now. There are no more elephants. There is no more unethical treatment of elephants either. (laughs) The world is a much better place. There are no more humans. Finally, robotic beings rule the world. And that's our show. Thank you all so much for joining us. And thank you, Uri. It's good to be back. It's great to be back. If you have thoughts about this episode, we always love to hear from you. Please send us an email, talkingtachaspodcast at gmail.com. And remember to subscribe and rate us in the iTunes store. We love reading it. It makes us feel really good. Even if it's a crappy review, we'll take it. Well, yeah, as we've said before, as John Gabris likes to say, rate us five stars and roast us in the comments and we will read it on air. It's the truth. And we also would like to thank the band Triple Threat Trio for giving us 
our intro outro music and also thank you as always to drive in productions our sponsor of today's episode and drive in productions is new york's premier film production studio all right that's our show bye bye